The sport you care about, we're talking about it. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Hello, everybody. Welcome in a happy Monday to you one and all. AJ, got to turn your mic so you don't speak yet. Sorry, AJ, do not speak. All right, AJ, you can speak. Cool. Welcome. I'm not Eric. You can't treat me that way. <laughs> you can't treat me like that. <laughs> sorry. Uh, I, I'm sorry, DJ AJ. My <laughs> deepest and sincerest apologies. AJ Knight, Carl Smith, I'm AJ Sal, so welcome to another edition of the Full Court Press. Happy to have you wherever and however you're joining us on 1069 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan, and 1069TheFan.com. A lot to get through. Uh, through a busy weekend, pretty bizarre weekend, too, in regards to sports. Uh, the first topic, we'll start off right off the top with it here in just a moment. Sam Facini of The Athletic uh, uh, covers college basketball and NBA draft about as well as anybody else does uh, in regards to college and NBA trans, uh, the transfer, I guess, from college to NBA and the draft itself. Sam is wonderful at it. He'll join us at 4.30. AJ and I will get a chance to chat with him. We're going to have our three-on-three-on-three quiz. Missed it on Friday because I was gone, Carl was gone, AJ was gone, and Eric was here. So we'll uh, do he that today. quizzed himself and went undefeated. <laughs> uh, and then uh, we'll uh, get you set for tomorrow's show. Eric is gone for the uh, next four days. So today and the next four. So you'll hear a lot from Carl. You'll hear a lot from AJ. You'll hear a lot from myself. Hope you're okay with that if you're not. Uh, don't change the dial, just turn off the volume and then turn it back on later on. Uh, alright, so let's get to it. NASCAR race, uh, was supposed to begin today, and because the, uh, softies, uh, couldn't get through some rain, they decided to delay it some more. No, they're racing. They're going. Are they going now? Yeah, they're going. So, Nothing says soft like unwilling to drive 200 miles an hour in the rain, huh? On slick. No Come on, we do it on I-15, what's the difference? <laughs> well, when you're right, you're right. But let's start here. Uh, a really uh, kind of a disgusting incident happened in NASCAR uh, last night or yesterday, I should say, uh, where Bubba Wallace and, and, and Carl Smith is our NASCAR expert, so we're going to kind of uh, hand it over to him here in just a moment. But uh, Bubba Wallace found a noose in his garage stall. A noose. Uh, he was disgusted. Um, the word, of course, got to the commissioner of NASCAR. They sent out a statement that they were absolutely disgusted by the incident as well. Uh, really cool uh, scene today where um, Bubba Wallace uh, led, uh, I guess, with the national anthem, and all the NASCAR drivers stood behind him as an act of solidarity, which should be common sense because of what he's going through. Uh, Carl, let's, let's start with the incident itself, though. To get into the garage stall... Like, fans can't get in there, right? Like, it has to be someone within NASCAR to be able to get into, like, like uh, to get access to a place like that. You actually, before COVID-19, you used to be able to buy what they call pit passes and garage passes. Okay. And you could go back there as fans. Oh. Um, I was actually, had a garage pit pass a couple of years ago at Talladega. It was a really interesting experience being able to go that far back and see him work on the cars. But with COVID, obviously, I think there's 5,000 fans at Talladega today, spread out in 140,000 seats. Right. Um, so they're not obviously – they don't have access. What NASCAR said and what I've read is that drivers, members of the pit crew, managers, owners, those individuals, safety um, 
individuals as far as medical, any of that, um, and then NASCAR officials are the only people that were allowed back there um, as far as who could have done this incident. How worried, I mean, and how big of a black mark, because NASCAR is kind of the the face of sports for this, I mean, the past few weeks because they've been the ones in action. How big of a black mark does this put on NASCAR? Um, I think the way NASCAR has handled it, it probably is more, I don't want to say it's a positive incident, but the way that they're, yeah. the way that they've reacted to it and the staunch take that they're saying when they find out who the individual that did this is banned from NASCAR, the FBI is involved, there could be some criminal charges as far as in Alabama laws and hate crime laws that I've read about overnight. Um, it could get pretty serious really quickly if whoever did it. Um, so I think at, at the end of the day, NASCAR is doing what's right, and they could look more inclusive after this, um, just how they're handling the situation. And Not- with everything that happened today with – how they walked Bubba Wallace's car out there. Oh, and, that was so cool. And, and the solidarity and the just the, the togetherness of that. That's and it was the drivers. It was the entire crew. And I've only seen one thing like that before in NASCAR, and I think that could speak volumes to a lot of people and say maybe this is something maybe we should pay attention a little bit more attention to. And with that, I believe it was read. It was led by Richard Petty. Is that correct? By well, the way? Richard Petty was out there. Who's I won't say he's the goat of NASCAR, but he's the king of NAS- of stock car racing. He was kind of when stock car racing really gained its fame. He was the best driver out there, um, and he hadn't been back. He's older, obviously. He's been around for a long time, so he hasn't been back to the track since COVID started. But he did come back today, and he actually owns the car that Bubba Wallace drives. That's a Richard Petty Enterprises car. Oh, that's cool. So not not to stereotype uh, NASCAR fans, because I think you've done a good job identifying what NASCAR has done as a whole. Uh, I know last week we talked, or whenever, last time we were on, you talked about the exchange program they had with the Confederate flags or the American flags. Are you surprised? What What is your level of surprise? Because I think initially when they started making these announcements with the Bubba Wallace stuff, it was mostly just internet outrage. It didn't feel like there was a ton mm-hmm. of stuff. There was that one truck driver that quit, yeah. but there really wasn't anything. And then today or over the weekend he got this, and there was the person who flew the Confederate flag over Talladega uh, today as well. I mean, what's your level of surprise? Because it seemed pretty calm um, initially. I wouldn't say, like, I'm, I'm shocked and appalled that someone would do it. Surprised that it happened. I mean, each of those, each of those crews have 30 people at least. Right. And so if you bring 40 teams with 30 people, oh, I think we all stance, know there's yeah. bound to be a racist in the group. Um, as we know, society. So at the end of the day, am I overly surprised? No. Do I think it's disgusting? Yes. So with that, and you don't have to, to, you know, to announce any names, but is there in your mind individuals, race car drivers, or like a crew or a team that you think, oh my gosh, I bet you I know who it is, just in my mind. It was probably some random tire carrier for some random team. Like, oh. who knows who it was? Can you, you find know? it though? Can you find? I mean, how do you? They're supposedly cameras, so they they oh. but they've turned everything in. But I think the governor of Alabama has handled the situation with the FBI in there and this new hate crime act, and um, just kind of letting them take over the investigation. NASCAR has kind of said this person's going to be banned from NASCAR. But at the end of the day, we're going to let the FBI, because they have more power than we do, as far as on the criminal side, they're going to let the FBI handle it. And hopefully the FBI does it correctly. Yeah, if there's anybody 
And if you're the person who did it, your heart's got to be like just almost shredded. They're probably at the track racing right now. <laughs> I mean, they haven't sent anyone home. Somebody's there. Uh, I don't forgive me. I don't know where Bubba Wallace ranks in terms of his his talent or accolades in terms of NASCAR driving. What with what he's done, how do you compare him to Colin Kaepernick? Because obviously, um, Kaepernick obviously basically I think sacrificed his career for his message. And not to belittle anything that he did, but I think Bubba Wallace is ta- tackling historically probably the more challenging sport. I would, I would agree with you. I in thought about culture, this when I, mean, I first read about it last night, and I was doing some reading. I was thinking, what what would happen if Kaepernick was it five years ago, four years ago, started taking the like knee? That, yeah, like what if what if it was NFL season right now and he started doing it? Would the NFL now, because we know how things have gone, would they rally around him like they kind of have now, or would he get that same reaction? Is it is it a product of the moment, or is it a product sure. of the atmosphere? It's a good question. That's I mean, a I great think great point to bring. I up. think we're going to find that one. Not so much with Kaepernick, but I think they're still going to be kneeling. So you know? we're going to find out if if Bubba Wallace would have drove a, a a BLM car five years ago, what would be the response to yeah. two weeks ago? I don't, yeah, I, I would say it would be different because the world is I, eyes have been opened. Obviously, people are listening more, um, so I think it would. Naturally, there would be a little bit of difference. I think it's interesting because I think Kaepernick obviously makes it easier for Bubba Wallace to make his stand. But like I said, I think Bubba Wallace is tackling the more challenging culture. Is that fair sure, to say? For sure. Ajay texted me last night and said he asked me about it and kind of my feelings. Um, and he asked me if I was scared, like, how did I feel for Bubba Wallace? And I don't, I'm not scared for his health and well being. Right. There's enough people around him that I, I think that's okay. I'm more just the mental yeah. aspect. He has to be going through some. Yeah. Just, it's got to be draining. Like, too. it's just like, because he's taking the stand hard and he's, I don't want to say poster boy, but he's kind of, right now, I guess there's no better term common don't turn them that and he's that that's got to be draining just just the wear and tear and the, the focus that he's getting because honestly and this is nothing against Bubba Wallace because I've actually listening to interviews and podcasts with him I've really grown to be really fond of the guy but he's not at a top team Petty's kind of a middle ground uh-huh. and if it didn't probably have the name Petty it probably wouldn't be around anymore um Team, so he doesn't have the best equipment. He's on the best race car every week. He kind of runs high mid pack. So his the attention on him has not been a ton till this moment. So it just has to be unbelievable. Yeah, like it's just it's got to be tough. Bubba Wallace currently sits in uh, eighth in the running order uh, as they come back to the green with twenty one laps to go in stage two. He sits behind Blaney Klo- Kessel. I don't know how to say his names, dude. Keselowski, Logano, Custer. Is it D Benedetto? Yeah, you got it. Okay, Johnson and Bell, Byron and Kyle Busch sit behind Wallace. Uh, with this rain, I guess it was Talladega. Uh, it, does it run differently? I mean, it, the track is different. You've talked about your favorite tracks are what Daytona, right? But then the Talladega, other, Talladega's number one. The number one, right? Yeah, sure. Based on the track itself, though. Yeah, yeah, but the I mean, the rain. What it does is just rot. I mean, these tires—they're so slick. They kind of lay down rubber as you drive over them, and so they gain grip. And so once the rain comes, just the track loses grip. 
So it's a little bit more uh, dicey out there, I guess you could say. And not as quick. Who comes out with a win? I mean, does the rain affect? Hopefully the, the stage one winner, Tyler Reddick. Okay, oh. not your hope. <laughs> I mean, but you're like, you're, I guess the question is, for example, like in baseball, right? When you have a starting pitcher throwing and then a rain delay comes in, you can't put that starting pitcher back out there. No. You usually have to go to the bullpen. Does that is that same effect on like a driver? Like if he's driving in the rain or I guess driving in the rain comes in, halts the race, does that affect how he drives the rest of the way? And maybe I would, he loses I would the think standing? it would affect them. Uh, obviously, the track's different after the rain, so it's going to affect the vehicle and the setup that each team has. So they kind of adjust from there. But Talladega is – it might be, a, honestly, a benefit at Talladega because you're driving for 500 miles – 200 miles an hour and what right now I think there's there's 35 cars spread out by two seconds right now like that's how packed they're Ooh, running yeah so they're just they're gripping those it's wheels they're, there's it's a mental challenge on them and it's just kind of abuse that way as far as I mean you're just I'm, you're you're biting your nails for three hours so it's kind of the break in the middle kind of probably welcoming so they can just kind of relax for a minute. Uh, according to Jeff Gluck, who, by the way, keep that name in mind, thanks to Carl, hopefully Jeff will be joining us on our show and we'll be having like full NASCAR talks. So for you NASCAR fans, <laughs> it's this is like pure heaven this week because uh, Carl is here and he's got all these sort of, I guess I don't want to call them connections, but just people that he knows or has talked to. And, and Jeff Gluck, who is a NASCAR it's enthusiast. It it's Jeff Gluck is, uh, is an enth- NASCAR enthusiast. Really good stuff. Uh, he comes out as he's uh, put out a, a, a tweet saying that Ricky Stenhouse Jr. becomes the 13th different driver to lead a lap today. There have been 35 lead changes so far in this race. Is that normal for Talladega? Uh, there's a lot more lead changes in Talladega than most places just because of restrictor plate racing and how it's kind of ran with the draft. So it's, I, would, I wouldn't say there's normally 13, but there's, there's quite a few. Uh, the Penske cars are, uh, were at one point lined up uh, on the bottom, 12-2. 22 and 21 uh and they've uh, i guess kind of struggled to kind of get the breakthrough but uh stenhouse finally does have one and they have a leader after stages after stage two or during stage two? i don't even know how to during do. stage two during stage, stage two, two has 12 more laps to go so ricky how many, stenhouse has been real fast today how so. many laps so how many laps are per stage uh i think in this it depends on the race and the distance and the track because obviously every track is a, a different distance I think there's 60, 60, and 68 in the three stages today. The third is always the longest one. So it's 60, 60, 68. That's correct. I was counting up because there's 188 total laps, which makes up 500 miles. Oh, jeez. Uh, if you want to join into the show, you're more than welcome to at 435-339-0321. That's to text in. If you want to call in and ask Carl and AJ questions about sports, please uh, no Aggie basketball questions to Carl. He's refusing to talk about Aggie basketball, period, in any way, shape, or form. Definitely will not injuries. talk about Aggie basketball. Other and ones I'll entertain. In- injuries, I'm not. He's just heartbroken because they were clearly going to win the NCAA tournament. Hey, so what do you think about the new signee that Utah State Aggies just got? Uh, I'm excited. So I've heard nothing but positive things. So here is the announcement that uh, Utah State has uh, signed another international kid for their international squad, uh, Zahar Vazhdivov. He goes by Z. That's all I know. That's all I'm going to remember. That's because he got tired of explaining it. <laughs> Z, I heard he goes Z's by fine. Z, so I'm sticking with it. Z is fine. Uh, he's already in my phone as Z. <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the way, with that uh, with that international signing of his of the ten signees for Coach Smith, 
Seven of them are from out of the U.S. He's brought in four of the highest recruits in USU history. Zapala and McChesney are the highest and have yet to play. Like Coach Smith, and I know the question is, can the guy recruit? And uh, you watch what Mark Pope's doing right now over down south, and that is impressive. That guy is putting together a clinic in the recruiting process. What Coach Smith is doing, though, internationally, might be even just as much more impressive going outside the country and finding these guys. Uh, and this, uh, I, again, I'm just going to call him Z. ZV is what I'm going to call him. Uh, he recently excelled in the international stage. He played for his native Russia in the under-19 World Basketball Championships in Greece. Uh, the tournament, excuse me, and he finished the tournament as the 10th best score, averaging 16.5 points per game, scoring 22-plus in each of his final three games. Uh, against the United States in the quarterfinals, he scored a team-high 24, shooting 53% from the floor. He went 8 of 15 and 55%, going 5 and 9 from deep. He then turned in uh, first back-to-back 22-point uh, performances in the very next game against Serbia, where he shot 50% and 66.7% uh, from three. And then over the course of the tournament, Z shot 41.5% from the floor, 40% from deep, 83% from the free throw line. He's got some good free throw shooters here, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, three and a half assists, two and a half rebounds. Uh, and he was named uh, to an impressive top five players list that also include the University of South Carolina's A.J. Lawson, uh, Iowa State's Tyrese Halliburton, and Gonzaga-bound Julian Strother. Good. Yeah, there was a lot of good competition last, last year in that tournament. goodness. So, again, uh, Utah State announces another guard. He's 6'6 from Russia. Uh, it is Zahar Vashrichrev. <laughs> I was close, guys. I was close. I think the interesting thing is, obviously, there's talent everywhere, but with Coach Craig Smith, I think it says a lot about you as a recruiter when you can find – because that was the biggest thing with uh, Kata was when uh, he played, and everyone was like – how did everybody miss this guy? That There's got to be no bigger compliment for a coach. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, and I'm with you. Again, that's that's a golden recruit. But, uh, you know, someone I, I was having a conversation with, I, I was telling how great of a recruiter, AJ. Uh, that I am coach, a great recruiter. You're right. Oh, that, uh, that Coach Smith is. Yeah. But let's look at the recruits that he's had so far. Namish Keta, Sean Berstow. Are they... <clears throat> Carl's getting, Carl, you want to join? Nope. <laughs> uh, what? Namish Keta and Sean Barristow are the two recruits that have played major minutes. We're going to really find out how good of a recruiter he is because you get Lee McChesney and Mark uh, Marco Anthony mm-hmm. coming in here. And then you might even see Zapali get some playing time too. We're going to find out how good of a recruiter, quote-unquote, according to the rest of the state of Utah Craig Smith is. Well, you and I know he's good, but how yeah. good is he? Well, it's that. I mean, he and it's not just his recruiting because uh, you know I'm a Purdue fan, and there was a couple down years there. So you can recruit. It's also obviously about coaching and developing because it just look at the difference Coach Smith made his first year with mostly the same team and what the difference was for that team. But it's also he clearly has a vision for how the team fits together, which I think is just as much a part of it too because you need obviously cohesion and all that, and he's done a good job doing that as well, and so. Um, I know it's. Uh, I know we're gonna talk about about the the draft with the uh, college basketball and NBA a little bit later. But um, I know there's a little nail biting with Merrill f- finally finishing his his eligibility and leaving USU. But I, I would have faith in in Coach Smith with his recruiting and ability to seemingly to fit a team together. Can I just say, 
Like, there is no person I'm so much I – mean, like, everybody in the Mountain West Conference is so happy Samuel's leaving. Yes. And, and nobody's more yes. happy Especially than – Especially the Mountain West Tournament. Yeah, exactly. Well, nobody's <laughs> – I was going to say, nobody's more happy than New Mexico. Like, what he did to New Mexico is just absolutely savage. <laughs> yeah. But on the other side, from a Utah State point of view, and I don't, I don't know if you have a different thought on this, AJ – but for me, Malachi Flynn leaving is monstrous. I am so grateful. Him and Mitchell. Right. If Mitchell sticks it through and goes to the draft, I am so elated that we do not have to deal with those two guys again. Jalen Harris of Nevada is a good ball player, but Jalen wasn't going to win you a game by himself. Malachi could take over a game. Yeah. I, yes. I, I think I just I don't have really anything to add. I think I agree with you. Uh, there's obviously a couple players that stick, stick in the thorns of USU, but I, I, I think... Maybe it sounds a little biased, but I think you're probably right. I think if you were to survey all of the coaches in the Mountain West, I think pretty much everyone is more happy. Sam Sam Merrill's gone versus anybody else in the conference. Yeah, I I still remember Paul Weir's comments after the game in the Mountain West Conference tournament where Mount Merrill with nine and a half to go and four fouls doesn't commit another foul yeah. and scores like 15 points Shoots or whatever. In the parking lot, and then you just and Paul Weir <laughs> comes out. In fact, I should honestly play this just for kicks and giggles. Uh but comes out and uh, talks about just how <laughs> uh, – here it is. Got you right here. Check this out. I can load it. Oh, I got to load it up. Sorry, everybody. Give me one sec. Favorite comment of the Mountain West tournament was this. Sam Merrill, Sam Merrill, <laughs> Sam Merrill. I'm going to see this kid in my when he, uh, for came a back long with- time. Trey Kell, part two. Uh, yeah, sorry, Sam no, Merrill. No He's amazing. He should be in the NBA draft. He kicked our ass. He kicked my ass. He's a great basketball player. I wish him all the best. Um, he was exceptional tonight. I mean, I just, I don't know. I, I didn't do a good enough job. He beat me at the end of the day. Um, he's, he's a great player, and I could not find a way to stop him when it mattered. Um, he can beat you from all three levels as he showed it, and uh, he was awesome tonight. How about that? Clutch Gene, Clutch Gene, Clutch Gene. Just my favorite. My second favorite comment was when Sam Merrill, after the, uh, after the Mountain West Conference Championship, gets to the podium and says, no disrespect to the NIT. I didn't want to go to the NIT. And then Coach Smith is like, yeah, we were going, man. We're going to the NCAA tournament. Don't worry about it. And I was like, no, you weren't. You had to win. I think you had to win that game to get to the it, NCAA it, tournament. It was a little dicey. It was a little dicey. But nonetheless, what a, uh, that's fun. It just uh, – I, again, nobody in the Mountain West Conference is more happier to see Seminole leave than New Mexico. But from a Utah State point of view, I think we're all sad to see Seminole go, but thrilled to see Malachi Flynn get out of here. Uh, that kid, in fact, Carl, I think you saw it. You had, Carl had a great view of this shot. Malachi's near buzzer beater to win the Mountain West Conference championship. And I was sitting on the other side of the court, court side, and like even when it bounced up, it looked like I was coming back in. But from your view, Carl, that thing was going in, right? I thought it was in. I was getting ready for overtime. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that thing rims in and out, and then it looked like it was going to come back in, but oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, happy to see Malachi Flynn go bye-bye. All right, we got to take a break. Coming back, Sam Vecini of the Athletics is going to join Ari J and I. We're going to talk about the NBA draft and where does Sam Merrill stand? Why does he like him? Where's his weaknesses? And uh, other college athletes come in or some college basketball players going into the draft. And is this a weaker draft than last year? Most would say yes. Where does Sam stand on that? It's the Full Court Press. Carl Smith, AJ Knight. We'll get to our three-on-three-on-three quiz at the end of the show uh, tonight as well here on 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. Northern Utah and Southern Idaho's home for sports. 
It's the Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. Full Court Press, AJ Knight, Audrey South, and Carl Smith's going to step aside for a moment. He'll be back for our three-on-three-on-three quiz. And can anybody get an answer right? That'll be the question. That's really the biggest question of all. Can anyone get one right? I've got a feeling that I'm going to get one right today. Actually, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get one right today. I'm feeling confident. You see our questions? I'm going to speak for Carl. Yes. <laughs> hey, uh, it's uh, it's our pleasure to have on uh, here at the Full Court Press. We're going to talk some NBA draft with this guy. He's one of the best in the business, if not the best in the business, and you're keeping up to date with the college, athlo- college basketball guys. And with the NBA draft, you can find him on The Athletic. Uh, and if I butcher your last name, it is not my fault, Sam, so please forgive me. Don't scream at me. Uh, but Sam Fassini of The Athletic here, uh, he has an updated 2020 draft big uh, big board. Uh, you can find that on The Athletic. It's current 100, uh, current top 100 players on the list. Uh, Sam, my man, thanks for joining us here. You could not have gotten my name more right. You absolutely are you, nailed it. Wait, wait, wait. Are you being nice because you're on our show or are you being dead serious? I can't figure it out. Dead serious. You killed it. <laughs> I've been working on it for three hours uh, while I was driving around today. So, uh, yeah, I've been working on it. Uh, Sam, thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Great to have you. Let's start here. Uh, this draft board, when they look at last year's and the hype of uh, of uh, R.J. Barrett, uh, was it, was it, who's it, Morant, right? from uh, Ja Morant. Ja Morant, thank you. Uh, and then you have Zion Williamson. The draft board looked much more sexier than it does this year. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah, last year's draft. Uh, this year's draft is not even pale in comparison to last year's draft. I don't even think it's, I don't even think it's in the same ballpark. It's uh, not that this is like a terrible draft or anything. Last year was just a pretty good draft. And, you know, this year features a lot of players that are not necessarily household names, guys that are not hyper elite level talents, you know, guys that you might have been able to get 10th, 11th overall last year. Uh, you know, similar level players might have gone fifth overall this year, right? So uh, I think that this year's draft is a little bit weaker, but you know, I think the teams are you know tasked with mining talent uh, every way that they can, and uh, you know, I think that uh, they'll figure out a way to go about it this year as well. In terms of the hype, is that part of the uh, tournament not played? Because obviously that's such a huge cultural event for the for everyone, for America. Everybody fills out brackets, everybody watches. Is that part of it, or is it just it would have been the case regardless if we had the tournament or not? Oh, uh, we might have some problems here on the end of... I, I can hear you now. Okay, sorry. I think we're going to try this one more time here. Uh, AJ, uh, can you hear AJ? Is that Mr. Vasidi? Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Yeah. Okay, cool. Is the is the hype? Is that because of the not the lack of the NCAA tournament, or would that have been the case even if we had had the tournament? No, even if we had the tournament, this draft was shaping up to be uh, one of the weaker ones uh, that we've seen in a while. It's definitely the weakest one since the 2013 draft, and. You know, like I said, in the 2013 draft, he ended up being able to get Giannis Antetokounmpo at 15, and Rudy Gobert went uh, 27th overall, and C.J. McCollum went 10th overall. Like, in every draft, you're going to be able to find 
guys that contribute and far exceed their draft slot. But uh, to me, the strength of a draft is not only in, uh, you know, in terms of how good the players are, but in terms of how reasonably you can identify who the great players are going to be in a draft. And uh, I think at the end of the day, this draft is a little bit, a uh, little bit underwhelming is the way to put it. In terms of the uh, evaluation process, I feel like in baseball we saw, at least early on in the first round, you saw teams lean towards the upperclassmen because obviously the spring sports didn't get to play very much. In basketball, I feel like teams historically favor potential. Has the pandemic done anything to change the preparation? Has that boosted upperclassmen in terms of having more tape, seeing more of them, or is it still going to be leaning hard on potential, you think, in terms of evaluation? I mean, look, underclassmen are always going to be uh, more valued, if only because uh, it's very rare for a real NBA draft prospect to get to the point that he's a senior without having left already, right? Uh, It's just the reality of the NBA draft. I think that the best way I can answer that question is that the, the players whose performances show best on tape and whose play on the court this season was high level and at the highest level, I think those are the guys who are going to come away from this process having been uh, the most successful through this pre-draft process. Because like you said, uh, most of what teams have access to right now is just tape and what the guys are doing on the floor uh, and what they did on the floor this season. They can't really see see these players work out right now. They can't get video highlights of them working out. They really only can talk to them for a couple of hours through the process. So uh, at the end of the day, I do believe that the guys whose tape shows best and showed best this season are the ones who will tend to rise up the draft board. Sam, you have Sam Merrill at uh, 71, but you have Malachi Flynn from San Diego State at 37. Why such the big gap between the two guards? I'll, I'll be honest. I have uh, Sam Merrill at 50. Um, okay. Yeah, he's he's jumped up a pretty real amount. Uh, Malachi is a little bit younger. I actually have Malachi at 33, so there is still a pretty real gap. Uh, Malachi is a little bit better of a playmaker. I think he's a little bit better uh, creating his shot. Sam Merrill's obviously a better shot maker than Malachi Flynn. I think there's a case that Sam Merrill is the best shooter in this draft class. Uh, Malachi is also a high-level defender. Not to say that Sam Merrill is a bad defender at the college level. He actually started to take on some really difficult assignments throughout uh, his senior season particularly. But uh, I do think Malachi is the better anticipatory defender. He's better in help situations. He's a little bit grittier on ball. And just as a passer and a playmaker, I think Malachi's role is just tailor-made for the next level as kind of a backup point guard type that can be a floor general. There are a lot of teams that really see a lot of comparisons to someone like a Fred Van Vliet and Malachi Flynn. Uh, Just the toughness, the hooper gene that he seems to have, uh, the way that he really, really just gives his effort on both ends. There's a lot to like, but look, there's a lot to like about Sam Merrill's shot-making ability as well. He's uh, one of the best shooters coming off the screens in this draft, one of the best off-movement shooters in general in this draft, and I think he's a little bit underrated in pick and roll. Uh, at the end of the day, I do think both of these guys are going to get drafted. 
The NBA uh, has informed teams of a second window for players to enter the 2020 NBA draft until August 17th. How much of the effect will that have in players dropping out of the draft and going into the draft? Um, I don't think it'll really have much of an effect on guys dropping out of the draft. I'll just be honest with you. We've never had a uh, window like this before, so it's really difficult for me to even wrap my head around what this <laughs> is going to look like. Uh, do I think it's possible that some guys get cold feet about there being a college season and decide to just start their pro careers now? Sure, I think that's plausible. Uh, do I think there's a chance that nobody uh, really changes their mind and you know the decision they made back in March is going to be the decision that they uh, decide to stick with? Sure, I think that's like totally possible. It's just really hard for me to even uh, begin to speculate, just because uh, you know it's the guys that wanted to go. It seems like they want to go, but uh, we've just never seen something like this before. So, I, I, it, anything that I do would be totally speculative and not really based on substance. You know what I mean? In in terms of uh, some of the top players going to the G League, a few of them, what do you, what do you make of that? Is that something that's going to catch on, or is that going to force the discussion between the NBA and college basketball about the uh, high school eligibility rule? At the high school level, you mean? Um, yes. Yeah, no, I think that it's been a long time coming, first and foremost. I think that in many ways it's a response to the fact that there hasn't been a ton of progress made on the end of the one and done rule, uh, just in terms of you know bargaining and creating an amendment to the current collective bargaining agreement that would allow high school players to enter the draft or that would upend the current rules. Now, do I think that this is something that's going to become more prevalent? I would say it'll probably be between four and seven guys every year that decide to make this leap. I don't know that I'm at the point where I think it's going to be a ton more prevalent than that. It's only because I am still a little bit skeptical on the financial model for this whole thing for the G League. How are they getting funding to do this? Is this just like a total write-off for NBA teams? And if it's you know something that each NBA team has to decide to kick in something like uh, you know a million dollars to get this thing off the ground, or you know kick in five hundred thousand dollars to get this thing off the ground, is that something that NBA teams are really going to be interested in? I'm not quite as sure that that's the case, to be honest. So uh, I think that. It remains to be seen how it affects things, but uh, I would venture we're going to be in a pretty similar boat to the uh, situation we've been in in the past where guys like Lamella Ball, RJ Hampton, etc., are going to uh, want to try and find a professional route. Uh, guys that aren't interested in going to college will try and find a professional route, but uh, a lot of players do still really want to play in college, and I think that that will, uh, that will continue to bear itself out as well. With the with the, some of those top high school players going to the G League, in terms of the evaluation process, which way, in your opinion, benefits the uh, NBA GMs more? Is it seeing these one-and-dones who are probably going to go to the programs like the Dukes and Kentuckys with very good coaches, or is it seeing them go to the G League where they work with uh, potentially some NBA-quality staff, and obviously I think there's maybe a little bit more access to them? Which would be more beneficial in terms of NBA execs with the choice uh, those top high school recruits would pick? 
Yeah, from a scouting perspective, it's unquestionable that I think scouts would prefer they go to college, if only because you get a very real sample of them uh, playing, in most cases, highly competitive games and seeing you know what these players are made of in those situations. Um, not to say that there aren't advantages to the G League's program, but I do believe that scouts would prefer getting as much information as what these players are are made of and what they are capable of in competitive settings that they maybe haven't seen before uh, with competition levels that they maybe haven't been uh, exposed to before. I definitely believe that uh, most scouts would prefer to see them in the most competitive atmosphere possible, which currently is the college atmosphere. Sam Vecini of The Athletic does an incredible job of keeping up with college basketball and has a great 100 board uh, or 100, I guess, NBA draft big board of players. Uh, I want to go back to Sam Merrill quickly, and I might have just missed this, and if I did, forgive me. Who was the one NBA player that you could see Sam Merrill being similar to as of in his playing style? Oh, man. Um, no, you didn't miss it. I didn't really say it. Um, <laughs> I would say... I mean, like the the idea here is someone like a Joe Harris, at, you know, with Brooklyn, right? Guy who comes in just an elite level shooter who's ready to play, you know, by year two, year three of his career, and um, can provide value. In Sam's case, Sam's already 24, so I would hope that uh, most NBA teams are hoping that he can make an impact earlier rather than later. But yeah, I think the idea here is a you know simple by the book floor spacer who runs off a screen uh, and knocks down shots from distance. I know you keep a good eye on these college athletes or college basketball players. Demiash Keta is staying for his junior season here at Utah State. Where could you see him in a year if he can have a season where he's 100% healthy, plays all his games, and maybe even makes the NCAA tournament? Could you still see him being one of those top 15 picks that everyone's kind of thinking he'd be after his freshman year? Yeah, and you know, Nini's really interesting because uh, he just didn't get a clean runway this past offseason with injury after the knee injury while he's playing with Portugal. No one's ever really thought of Nini as like a top 15 pick, uh, at least in NBA circles. He went to the NBA draft combine last year and just wasn't particularly close to the level he needed to be at. Uh, you know, Taco Fall, who's currently on a two way contract with Boston, really handled him quite easily, unfortunately. Uh, you know, he's a guy that you could see end up, you know, somewhere in the second round at some point. He's certainly an awesome defensive player, uh, you know, really shuts down the paint inside their numbers uh, with him on the floor versus when he's off the floor. There's a tangible drastic difference in his impact as a rebounder, as a rim protector. Uh, offensively, he's really just going to have to get to the point where he's knocking down shots from the perimeter and to the point where he is not turning the ball over at the level that he did this year, unfortunately. Uh, for his usage rate, he was just far too turnover prone. He's kind of a sneaky, interesting passer, but I think he's still figuring out how to make decisions on the fly a little bit. Um, you know, overall, I, I think he's going to be a guy that gets interest in the second round at some point, but probably. Uh, I think that that's what you're looking at, more of a second-round pick than a likely first-round pick. I forgot to ask you this one last question here. What team would Sam Merrill fit the best on? 
Ooh, that's a good question. Um, hmm. I think that a lot of teams could really use a guy like him that can space it. I would say Philadelphia mm. uh, maybe needs him the most. They need someone that can really, uh, you know, sprint off the of screens and, you know, take the occasional pick and roll as a secondary uh, playmaker in the half court and uh, knock down shots. So, you know, maybe maybe I would say Philadelphia fits. Uh, fits really well from a roster standpoint. And they obviously have some experience with this coaching staff uh, back when J.J. Redick was on the team before he decided to move to New Orleans in terms of how to get the best out of these guys that can really just sprint off the screen. Sam, really, really good stuff for you. Thank you so much for your time. Let's do it again closer Thanks, to Sam. the NBA draft. Sounds great, guys. Thanks. I appreciate it. As Sam Vecini of the uh, Athletic. Covers the NBA draft, again, as well as anybody else can. He's just phenomenal at it. And you can find his stuff uh, on theathletic.com. We're going to take a break. Coming back after 3-on-3-on-3 three 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 quiz. Carl Smith, AJ Knight. I'm Aljay Salvas. 106 on FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. This is Hiram with Platinum Solar of Logan. Utah residents are top 10 in the nation in making the switch to solar power on their home. There's not a better time than now to... F- Full Court Press, 106 NFM, 1390 AM, The Fan, 106NTheFan.com. Big thanks to Sam Vecini of The Athletic to join us to talk to AJ and I about the college basketball NBA draft. Interesting comparison, Joe Harris to Sam Merrill, and then Fred Van Fleet to Malachi Flynn? That's generous. <laughs> but hey, hey, he would, I mean, like, and here's the thing is he's kind of, right. I mean, Malachi Flynn's a great shooter. Right, really good shooter. Like the shot we were talking about, the buzzard. The guy turned and got like maybe one dribble and then let it fly, and was in and out. Well, I think it, I think we can make sense when you talk about. I think Fred Van Fleet made his initial impact on the Raptors roster. I think with his kind of just grittiness and then kind of showed his ability to score. I think that's I think that's the argument that uh, Mr. Vicini was making. I think it makes a lot of sense. You all right there, Carl? I'm good. Okay. Uh, it's time for our three-on-three-on-three on three on three quiz. We each get three questions to ask about whatever sport we want to. We all failed horribly, miserably last or two weeks ago. So we're going to try again. So here it is. Carl Smith, why don't you actually start us off this time? Okay, we're going 1999 NBA draft. Oh, this is all me. Let's go. The Jazz had three first-round picks. Oh, Who are they? Uh, oh, Deshaun Stevenson. This is nope. all you, are, Jay. Deshaun Stevenson wasn't one of them? Nope. Are you sure? 99. Uh, are you sure? <laughs> Uh, I don't 19- know much has to okay, say. okay. So, so we're working at ninety nine two thousand. Uh, nineteen ninety nine. You're like, no, I'm not. I'm out. No okay. idea. Um, I'm trying to think who came on that team. I, I want to say there was a big guy in there too. Oh, Scott Paget. Correct. From That's Kentucky. You're right. Uh, I have faith in you, Andre. Yeah, we're screwed. One of the most famous jazz players of all time was drafted in 99. Andre Karolinko. Correct. AK-47. What? Ah! No way. Really? Correct. Wow. one more. Uh, The highest pick of them all, actually. Matt Harpering. No, wait. He was later. Quincy Lewis. Quincy! Oh, good old Quincy. Hey, I got (laughs) one, Man, he sucked. (laughs) He was bad. I'm serious. He was so bad. Highest draft pick, biggest bust. 
<laughs> All right, AJ, what do you got? Which country won the first World Cup? Wait, what? Which the world country Cup won the first World Cup? Brazil. Nope. England. Nope. Or Spain. Nope. Okay, I'm out. France. Nope. Give three more. Three more. <laughs> okay. Uh, Give well, three more. I got to think of a big uh, Argentina. Nope. It's got to be South America. Yeah, he's he's way closer. Chile. Nope. No way. Uh, not Brazil. It's not Argentina, dude. Who the fetch would it be? Who's another South America country? You said Argentina, right? Yeah. I I thought it was gonna be Argentina for sure after Brazil. Colombia. Venezuela. Nope. I'm out. Paraguay. Uruguay. Uruguay. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> Did you say same thing? Same thing. All right, Ajay, what do you got? All right, who has the most NBA All-Star appearances? As like individual as... players, a team. No, as an individual player. I care less about a team. Let's see, LeBron's got to be up there. Kobe's got to be up there. What's the number? What's the number of appearances? 19. Kobe's like in the mid-teens, right? Like 16, something like that. 19. Give me the last time he was in the Last time he was an all-star. Oh, jeez. <laughs> what the year. hell? What I I dude, come on. That's what I need. No. No. Figure it out. Who played forever? I don't think it's not. I don't think it's Kobe, so I'd. How about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar with 19 appearances? Kobe has 18. I didn't even know they had an all-star game back then. I've got to be honest. I was like, yeah, I wasn't thinking of him. I was thinking it was somebody new because it's like basically a popularity contest. Did they do a dunk contest back in this day? Oh, I bet that would have been awesome. I don't know if they did. Uh, we're going to take one more quick break. Come back. We'll finish up our three-on-three quiz here on the Full Court Press. The Aggies, Jazz, High Schools, even the Pee Wee's T-Ball team. It's the Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio. The Fan. AJ Knight, Carl Smith, I'm Ajay Salves here on the Full Court Press. We'll continue our three-on-three-on-three. Three-on-three-on-three. I don't know what I just how many threes I gave you. But there you go. All right, Carl, go ahead. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about soccer since it was brought up earlier. Well, oh, now I did it. I don't even want to. European Cups are what they call the Champions League in today's times. What European club has the most Champions Leagues or European Cup titles? Man, you. Club? Spain. Spain. Spain's a country. Spain's <laughs> a What's the it, other one? It is a be? club in Spain. Correct? Oh, okay. I don't know. Arsenal? That's in England. Real Salt Lake. Real Salt Lake. You got the first, you got the first word right. Wait, I did? Oh, it's, uh, it's, uh, Real it's, uh, Madrid. Oh, I mean, Correct. Oh, come on, AJ. <laughs> What's his face was on it forever? The uh, guy from Portugal. What's that? Ronaldo? Yeah, that one. <laughs> I couldn't think of his name. It was Blaken. All right, here you go. Which three men have won an NCAA title as a coach and a player? Bill Russell. Nope. Wait, 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 wait. What was the question again? Which three men have won an NCAA title as a coach and player? 
Larry oh, Brown. NCAA. I was I was dumb about NCAA. Yeah. Bill Russell won everything as a player. As a, as a coach, <laughs> as a NCAA. Two of these I feel like are kind of they're they're two of the greatest coaches, college coaches. Oh, I have no idea. Wait, John Wooden? Nope. Larry Brown? No. Aj, no, no. Is it you're done or no? Is it you? No, I'm out. Joe Hall, Bobby Knight, and Dean Smith. Yeah, you're right about this last two. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) All right, we got about 50 seconds left. Who was the first BCS Buster team to go into the BCS and beat a Power Five team from a non-BCS conference? I don't know. George Mason, Davidson. In uh, football, you moron. It was, it was Boise, wasn't it? No. Utah. It is Utah. They beat Urban Pittsburgh Meyer. 35-10. Right. Cool. I'll give them credit. All right, Carl, you got one. Wait, was that three questions? Are we done? That's two. Oh, That's two. Carl, you got one more. Go. Let's finish out this, the day strong with some NASCAR questions. Oh, Son of we a, we're out. Uh, we're going to close the show. How, how many How many members are there of a NASCAR pit crew? How many oh. guys go oh. over the wall? Eight. Six. It's seven. Seven? Seven. Hey, we're <laughs> 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 and on that note, well, I'm for you for Sam Vecini, AJ Knight, Carl Smith, and Maldi Salison. Thank you so much for listening to Full Gore Press. Us three will be back tomorrow.